today we are going to be in the final chapter of our series here in the book of James, chapter 5. And we're going to finish up our series in this month, in a couple of weeks. And I, I find it so interesting that this kind of sermon series as I've been learning, is what I mean by that, this kind of sermon series. We're going through the book of James, and we're kind of nearing to the end. And this kind of sermon series is that I, I, I've come to realize I don't get to really choose too much of what the topic is going to be because you just simply follow the text. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's great because it's, it's all right there. But there are times where I, I come to something and I'm just... You know, ever scratch your head a little bit? And I'm like, oh, how, how is this going to work as a sermon? And James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to be looking at today, has been one of those head scratchers for me. Um, number one, because it's about money. And as a pastor, I desire great caution and great wisdom from God as we talk about money as a church family. And second of all, it's actually not addressed to us as Christians. It's addressed to non-Christians, um, corrupt and unrighteous non-Christians who are wealthy. So I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what, what do you have for us here? But praise God, he is, he's faithful, and I believe he has a very important word for us on the topic of money, specifically on the misuse of money, which focuses on uh, maybe perhaps um, wealth, but it is the focus, I believe, on a spiritual level, what God has for us today about money and how we manage our money. As I mentioned, this part of James's letter was not addressed directly to Christians, um, but to wealthy non-Christians, the non-believers. Uh, but this is the beauty of God's word. It's eternal. What do I mean by that? It's eternal. It, it's complete. And it's absolute. And letters like these that James wrote, the apostles wrote, they did write to a very specific audience, right? They wrote to a very specific situation that was happening at a totally different time, yeah, and a different cultural context. But that's the wonderful thing about God's Word is that the truths that you find in God's Word, they're applicable and true for all people, for all places, and for all all times. That's what it means that God's truth is absolute. And you'll find that this morning. And you'll continue to find that each time you are willing to let God speak to you, not necessarily about just the human pieces of what God is bringing into light through the written scripture, but his truth. Because when we believe that his truth and his word is infallible, which it is, and inerrant, he brings to light the eternal realities for us to be able to grab a hold of. And I've been blessed by that. And I hope to share a little bit about that as well with you this morning. So this text, this passage from verses 1 through 6, in part have to do, like I mentioned, about wealth. And, and perhaps you don't think yourself to be wealthy. And that might be very true when we compare ourselves to very wealthy people, maybe the millionaires and billionaires in this world Mark Zuckerberg, who is it, like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. I think he's on the number one list right now in, in the world. I mean, billions and billions of dollars, right? 
Um, so perhaps I'm not wealthy, you're not wealthy when we're comparing ourselves to people of great wealth. But if we take a, a global perspective, you'll see something a little bit different. You might look at this in a different light. For example, from a world population level, if you have food in your refrigerator and you have clothes on your back and you actually have a place to sleep, you're actually richer than 75% of the world's population. Okay? Even, even more so, if you have a bank account with any amount of money in there, and you have some money in your wallet and some spare change, you are considered 8%, the top 8% of the wealthiest in the world population today. That's just, that's just a reality when we're looking at it from a, a world, level, world level. If you own a computer, and I, and I do obviously, yeah, you're just 7% of the world population actually own a computer. If you have a university degree, you are 1% of the world's population that have that privilege of a university degree. Okay? So I don't, I don't know everyone who I'm talking to today, especially when we're looking at people talking on, I mean, listening on podcasts, but I think it's safe to say the majority of us are doing pretty good and have, have wealth. And I think there's something for us to really grab a hold of in the, some of the truths that God has for us this morning. The, and here's the issue, though. And this is our first point. The issue is not having wealth, however. It is really the sinful misuse of the wealth that God has given to us. In other words, the Bible nowhere is against us having wealth. All right? The Bible is against us misusing the wealth that God has given to us. There's a guy named Timothy in the Bible, and he is a young pastor that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has written a few letters to, and Paul has hel- is helping um, Timothy address some very important issues that in the church of Ephesus that he is pastoring. And so he's giving him his wisdom, godly wisdom and advice. And he says this in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, so uncertain. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Yeah? And a little bit back in verse 9, Paul also says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation. These are people who are striving and desiring to be rich. They actually fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So God says the problem is not about having wealth. It's about our attitudes, our beliefs, where we're putting our trust in, and how we're doing with the wealth that God has given to us. And so when riches become the focus of our life, we will fall into temptation. That is the truth. We fall into a trap. And this this trap has to do with these very harmful desires that actually ruin us and everyone else around us. That's the truth. So point number two is this. The misuse of wealth leads to miseries. Okay? And this is where we jump into James, chapter 5, starting verse 1. It says this, Come now, 
you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. (laughs) Um, All throughout James, this is what we're finding. They're not the happiest words ever. This is not something we sing about. (laughs) But... It is a very important, strong, but very important truth. Dame describes the consequences of misusing riches here. And it is misery. Misery. Meaning pain here and now, but also pain in the future. And the consequences of those misuse of the riches and the wealth that we have almost are like witnesses against you and the rest of the world. We're going to learn a little bit about that. So wealth back then in, the, in this biblical time consisted of grain and it consisted of garments and gold, okay? And so basically these are very, the very things that we get and we maybe look for, but they don't last because the grain, it rots. Yeah? The garments, they're going to get eaten by moths. And the gold, it, it rusts. And that's actually used on an illustrative level, not a literal level level because gold and silver, they don't rust. But what James is helping us understand is that these things lose value, that they become actually worth less because nothing in this world lasts. That's the truth. And it's a very great and I say grave mistake to put our trust and believing that there's security in wealth. Because this is what the, you can't get away from this message in the world that wealth is where your security is. No matter what culture we're, we're coming from, wealth is where our security is. So we have this message that we've been growing up with. That's what we seek for because that's where life and, and security is. But here in, in God's word, that it's telling us that if you believe this, if you put trust in this, this is going to do something very damaging to your whole being as a person. Like rust erodes and corrodes metal, this kind of believing that security is in wealth actually erodes our character and our being and our person. Verse 3, look, It says, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. This is the misery. This is the pain. This is the consequences of believing wealth to be life. Just like a person, and I have read a few unfortunate news about people getting a flesh-eating bacteria infection where it actually eats away your flesh. It's just horrible. But just like that, this belief is like an infection that makes our sick in our body and in our soul and corrodes our character and it erodes our soul. Okay? And that's something. It's not just having wealth. It's the belief and the trust that wealth, and we seek it, becomes our security. You get that? Because money itself is not sinful. It's not sinful. Like a lot of things in this world that are temporal, they are 
they're just neutral. They just, they just are. But the Bible tells us the love of money, well, that's where the root of all evil is. Here in 1 Timothy 6.10 it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, eager for money, meaning they're looking and they're seeking for money because money is something very important to them to have because it means life, it means death, it means, it means security. They're, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the love of money, my dear brothers and sisters and friends, if, if you're not, if you don't know what the Bible says and this is something new to you, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it causes us as even believers who have faith to lose faith, right? It, it, it puts our focus a, away from Jesus who's the way, the truth, and the life and find another way that's away from him. That's what it does. Because the Bible tells us that we cannot serve two masters. Yeah? We'll either love the one or hate the other. We'll be devoted to the one or despise the other because we cannot serve both God and money or wealth, some translations say. So that's why it does this. Not only that, the consequences of loving money, eagerly seeking money, is self-inflicted pain. Okay? self-inflicted pain and grief and loss on our own life, meaning it's no one else's doing but our own when we start to eagerly seek after wealth as security. So wealth, when it's not used for a godly purpose, for God's purposes, it becomes worthless in the end. It's of no worth is what James is helping us understand. So do you remember Abraham back in Genesis? He, he, he was considered in the time a very wealthy man. Yeah? It's not like our wealth where we had Bitcoin. He didn't have a lot of Bitcoin or, or you know, stock market, but he had a lot of cattle, <laughs> a lot of grain, he had a lot of clothes. Yeah? And he was wealthy. But as you, as you read, he, he, his faith and his trust wasn't in his riches and wealth that God has given to him. It was in God. And that belief and trust in who God is as, as his everything protected him from actually getting that erosion of his own character. Yeah? And, and his faith. Because that's what happened to Lot, his nephew. Lot was also became rich. He was wealthy. But that wealth, because he trusted in it, actually brought ruin not only to him, but his, to his whole family. Remember that. So it's not about wealth. It's about what we are doing with it and what we believe about it. So not only does wealth become worthless if we don't use it for God's purposes, it actually has a very heavy price tag when we misuse it and trust in it for life. So what are some examples of misusing wealth? Point number three. These examples are hoarding, withholding, self-indulgence are very specific examples that James points out from starting from verse 3 here in chapter 5. So the second part of verse 3 says this, you have stored up treasure in the last days. Storing up treasure. 
Pastor, is it wrong to save? No, that's not what it's talking about. There's nothing wrong and sinful about saving and storing up what you have. You're not supposed to just spend everything that you have. It's, it's good to store up. But this is not about saving money. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cry out. These were people of wealth who were withholding the grain, the garments, the golds that were actually <laughs> deserving and, and rightfully their employees. Yeah? The, the workers that had worked for them, they were actually holding that back. It was owed to them, but they were not paying that out to them. And so they were hoarding it for themselves, for their own purposes. They were depriving their own workers of their rightful wages, even when they had plenty <laughs> to actually pay them. This is, this is what hoarding is. Do you know what hoarding is? Let me, let me explain. Hoarding takes place when we start to accumulate above and beyond that which is necessary, that which what we need, okay? And hoarding is based off of a, a fear, a human fear to preserve ourself. It's, it's about me to preserve me and maybe perhaps my family, but it's, it's a fear of me protecting myself, preserving myself instead of trust in God as my provider. There's a big, big difference there. Remember back in Exodus, there's this very important event in history where God's people, the Israelites, were delivered from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. God delivers them out of that slave, of their slave masters. They cross the famous Red Sea, and in that Red Sea, all their Egyptian slave masters, they, they are drowned and killed and buried in that place. And from that place, God leads them into the wilderness or the, the desert. And God, in this place of the desert, he feeds them. He gives them food, and he gives them water supernaturally because this land is barren, and it has no food, and it has no water. Naturally speaking, there's nothing that they can actually get from this desert land. But God provides for them. And he's teaching the Israelites what it means for God to be their leader, for him to be their master now. Because they had masters that were horrible, that they could not trust in at all. But he is teaching them what it means for him to be their master, and he's going to provide for them even when there's nothing from them to be able to get anything from, naturally speaking. So he provides to them in one part of this history that we read this thing called manna, and it's, it's literally bread from heaven, right, given to them. And they gather it every morning from the ground. And the first time they picked it up, they said, what is this? And so that's the name. In Hebrew, manna means, what is this? <laughs> That's how they named it. It's funny how they name things. We think it's, wow, this really wise word, but it's just, what is this thing? Well, it was literally bread from heaven. And for some reason, this bread from heaven doesn't last very long here on earth. Okay, And so they were told by God through Moses to only pick up and gather what they needed for the day. 
to eat throughout the day to feed themselves and their family. Okay? Because that's all it was there to last. And, and the Bible tells us that those, some of them gathered little and some of them gathered much. Okay? They all didn't gather the same amount. They actually gathered differently. Some gathered little and some gathered much. But the ones who gathered little, they didn't have little. And the gather, those who gathered much didn't have a lot left over. Yeah? It was just enough what they needed. But anybody who decided to hoard uh, the, the, the manna and keep some for themselves until the next morning, they woke up to a very disturbing smell of rot and a sight of a basket full of maggots of rotting manna because that's what happens when they, well, disobeyed God because this manna wasn't supposed to be left. They, they, was, they were meant to live freshly being provided every single day by God to depend on Him fully every single day. And in the end, that's what happens to everything that we accumulate that's above and beyond what's necessary. It perishes, it spoils, it rots, it just is worthless. It goes away, okay? No matter how much we have that's left over that we're planning for the future. So living off simply what we need, not more, not less, keeps us, my dear brothers and sisters, in this place for God to be our leader, to be dependent upon him morning after morning, day after day. And it's the best place to live. Why is it the best place to live? Well, it is entrusting God to be at the center of your whole life. That's what you were meant for. That's what you've been created for. And it's a blessing. It protects you. It frees you. It saves you day after day. There's this prayer in the wisdom book of Proverbs, chapter 30, that shows a very honest desire of a, of a man who seeks first the eternal, but yet he knows very well his needs of the temporal. Yeah? And it's Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says, he says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult your holy name. This is the heart of the godly. To keep God, wanting to keep God at the center of our life. To seek Him to be at the center and, the, and our leader. To be trusting Him. To be dependent upon Him. You know the reasons why things don't go well in our life? It's God uses them to say, hey, be dependent upon me. To, to trust in me. <laughs> Yeah, and, and when things don't work out or there, there, there is fear, he wants to say, hey, come into the presence of my perfect love because my perfect love casts out all fear. Because when you, when you know, as we read, or we were saying this, this morning, we can feel, bring all those doubts and fears along, but when we're in his presence, they don't stay very long. Yeah, 
because he, he fills all that up. And even in the temporal, maybe those things have not come to pass, but our heart is filled by him and him alone. Hoarding is done from this place of fear where we're, maybe we fear of losing whatever security we're, that we're seeking by, by accumulating. It's a trust in the temporal and a total disregard for the eternal. Yeah, it is. So if you struggle with accumulating above and beyond what is necessary, maybe this is not just about money. Maybe this is about some area in your life where you accumulate and accumulate beyond what is necessary. Then you've got to let God deal with this fear of whatever that you're seeing or whatever this desire is. You've got to let him deal with it. What are, you, what are you afraid to lose, right? You've got to start there. What are you afraid to lose? And are you willing to let Jesus be that person who brings the security, brings that firm foundation, he himself being the firm foundation? Are you willing for him to be that prince of peace in your life to calm that fear for you? Because that's the only thing that will truly save you and set you free. For Jesus said, my truth will set you because listen friends we're living in the last days I don't have an estimate of that and I don't ever presume to know because Jesus doesn't even know only the father knows when Jesus is coming back but the Bible is clear we're living in the last days and he wants us to take this, these last days as an opportunity to use the things that God has given to us for eternal purposes for his kingdom This is not a sermon about giving money to this church. I'm not saying that. That's not what this is about, okay? This is about us understanding the things that he has given to us, he has given to us, and are still his, and he wants us to participate and use those things for his purposes that last forever, not the things that don't last forever and will fade away be eaten by moths or rot and corrode and they become worthless absolutely worthless so back to james chapter 5 verse 4 maybe as you read this perhaps you're on the other side of this where you have experienced or experiencing an employer or somebody who does owe you money the things that's rightfully yours yeah and, and i know that happens everywhere to where we have we're workers and we're employees and, and we're working and we have a rightful wage that's due us, but it's not coming in a wrongful way because somebody's deciding to either take that and use that for their own purposes and not give it to us. Well, it says here in verse 4, the fields cry out and the outcry of the harvesters has reached out, reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Man, if you ever have a chance to read and learn about the names of God, because there's not one name that could describe God. This is a name of God, the Lord of hosts. It means that he is the almighty ruler of the hosts of men, the hosts of all the angels, the hosts of all the stars of heaven and earth. And this God of hosts, this almighty God, has an ear for the cries of the oppressed. And he makes their cause his own. He makes the causes of those who've been oppressed 
his own. And so that you and I will know that we have a mighty defender on our side. That he's the one who defends us. He's the one who brings his justice in the manner that he sees justice. Not the way I see justice. In the way he sees it. To take care of this thing that is happening to you that is outside of your control. See, the picture here, it's a very interesting picture. The picture here is that both the cries of the person who's been oppressed and also the cries of the unpaid wages, for example, the unpaid wages sitting in the bank, in the wrong bank account, are actually crying out to God for him to hear. None of it is going unnoticed. Yeah? For him to be able to hear you and the God who is greater than the hosts of all of heaven and all of earth, will take charge of this wrongdoing. You just got to let him do it, okay? Let him be the one you trust in to do it. Trust him to be your justice and trust him to be your provider. Amen? That's what we have to trust in. Even those things, if we're finding ourselves on the wrong side of this, and if you are an employer or you're somebody who is withholding wages. You need to repent and, and, and do what is right. Pay what is owed, okay? This is God's word for us because God's word is showing here how serious this kind of wrongdoing is. How serious is it? Well, let's read. It's equivalent to actually condemning and murdering righteous people. Whew. Verse 5, it says, You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and you have murdered the righteous who do not resist you, who does not resist you. So what, what's the meaning of this? Well, withholding wages can be really deadly and really devastating for people who are depending on those wages to live. Yeah? There's a wisdom saying, that's not from the Bible, there's a wisdom saying that to take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wages is to shed blood. Yeah? Self-indulgence is a key word here because self-indulgence is all about my comfort. The reason some of these wages are being withheld is because the person is only concerned more about themselves than anybody else. Their comfort and what's going to happen to them than anybody else. And when we live in this way, when we live in this way, we're absolutely blind to anything else going on in the world. You know how many needs there are in this world? Just, the, just even in our sphere of influence, you will see so many needs. And they actually can be alleviated by a simple act of generosity. Yeah, if, if we were doing that, but when we're living self-indulgent life, meaning a life striving for comfort of ourselves and for us to be okay and us to be secure, then that actually makes us absolutely blind to the needs that are all around us that God wants us to be a part of and being very practical and showing the very light of Jesus Christ to people who are in great need of his love and have this care that he wants to do through his church. We are the body of Jesus, meaning he's our head, we are his body, he leads us, and we do what Jesus does as his body. With his hands, as his feet, love people, heal them, clothe them, 
feed them. That's what we're shown to do. James says that if self-indulgence basically is our only priority, then we're just fattening ourselves up for God's judgment. Just like a calf eats and eats and eats, getting himself fatter and fatter and fatter, not knowing that he's getting fat to go to the slaughterhouse. Yeah? Those who are living purely luxuriously, self-indulgent lives, pampering just ourselves, gorging just ourselves, comfort is only the thing that, that a day of slaughter is coming. Wow, what a stern, serious, but I would believe it's a loving warning for all of us who have ears to hear this. Yeah? It's for our life. It's for our protection. So the Bible solution to the misuse of money is really simple, really simple. Instead of focusing on becoming secure through worldly riches, here's our last point. Be rich then in good works and generous to those in need. So going back to what Paul, the Apostle Paul tells this young pastor, Timothy, and, and how to teach and pastor his church, he, he says to him, verse 18 of, verse, of chapter 6, tell them, them being the rich in this world, to use their money to do good. Okay. To use their money to do good. They should be rich not in just wealth, but rich in good works. Use this wealth that God has given you for the good works that God has already prepared beforehand for you to walk in and, and be generous to those who are in need always being ready to share with others. What an attitude. What does that mean to be always ready? It means that we're looking out and always being ready to share, right? With those who are in need and others. Imagine a church. You don't actually have to imagine a church. Read about the church in Acts of a church that has been so filled with God's Spirit that believe His Word that nobody was in need. Nobody had lack because this is what they were living out. They were ready to share with one another fully. And I don't believe that's a problem here at the nation's church, but it is, I believe, something God is continuing to encourage us in, to, to live and breathe and move and have our being in the Lord as He is as the church, Right? So by doing this, verse 19 says, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Not false life. Not, not the fake life that this world will preach to you and have you live, but true life, okay? By doing this, by living this way, using money to do good, being generous, to those in need, always being ready to share with others, we build a good foundation, a good foundation for the future so that we can experience true life in this life right now. Isn't that what we all want, to live true life? Well, we're giving very practical <laughs> words of wisdom of how to do that. This is God's word. This is his promise. This is his way. And this is his will. Are we willing to yield to it? Because you have a will, and God has a will. But he wants them to be one. 
And for them to be one, for him to accomplish his will, his perfect and good will, we must yield to it. Jesus said it this way, and he said it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following. It says a very similar thing. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and, whether, and, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is a truth that is so worth meditating every single day on, every day. Here's the truth. Change your treasure, change your heart. You change what you treasure in this life, and your heart will follow. Your heart will follow right there. Because what you treasure is what your heart is. Yeah? What you value the most above everything else, that is where your heart will follow all the time, 100%. When your heart changes, then so does our practice. So then what we do, you get your treasure right and your heart will be right also. So here's a few questions for you. I believe that as we take in God's word that we can respond to him. Do you know what your treasure is? What are you treasuring in this life? It's a very honest question that it doesn't matter what the answer is. There's not a right or wrong one right now. The only right one is the honest one. What is your treasure? What are you treasuring? And so then let God reveal what that means about your heart. Okay? Don't, don't resist this. Don't try to deny this and, and feel it to be so uncomfortable that you don't want to deal with it. No. What is your treasure? And then let God reveal what that means about your heart. Second, are you coming to awareness as God is ministering his word to you any way that you're misusing his money? Okay, Because the Bible tells you that you are stewards of God, meaning that we are the managers of his money, that we take things that he's given us and we use it the way he wants us to use it. But are you not doing that? Are you mismanaging it? Are you misusing it in any manner or in any way? Important for us to come into terms with. There's no condemnation here. It's only the Spirit of God wanting to align you to His Word, to His will, and to His way to lead you to experience true life. Yeah? Last one. Then what are the changes God wants you to make with His money? What changes does He want you to make with the money and the wealth that He has given to you? Because this can Radically change your life. Money has a way of being our master. And in fact, if the love of money makes it our master, and when it is our master, fear, insecurity, self-preservation, is all part of that. It's misery. Misery is the end. God doesn't 
Jesus didn't come to give you misery. He came to give you life and life abundance. That's what he gave, came to give you. And he's discipling us. We are his followers. He's discipling us of how to manage his money and how this doesn't entangle us but free us and also then accomplish the amazing good works that he has in store when we say yes to him in this way.